Frank, one of my favorite things in university and actually early on in my career, and to be honest, probably even up to this day, my favorite thing that I enjoy doing because I learned so much from it is pair programming. You know about pair programming? Not a pair, like a pair that you eat, but like <laughs> a pair as in two people or more pair programming. You, you, pair, you program together. You know, given my work environment, I don't actually have too many opportunities to pair program, but I have done it, James. I, it is not a mystery to me. I have paired and programmed at the same time. It was all right. It, I, I did it as like a, a workshop. Someone was doing like a little two-hour workshop in the city, and I did it in like Ruby or something. It was hmm. kind of fun because then my pair programmer partner could uh, teach me the Ruby. <laughs> My pear programmer partner while eating a pear, pickled yeah. <laughs> peppers um, by the seat. Um, so, no, yeah, I mean, I've, I think early on in my career, it really was something to sit down next to someone that deeply understood a code base or a concept and didn't necessarily show you and code for you, but kind of walked and guided you through this process. One of the early examples I had on this is at my university, we had a big sort of a small, not a big, it was a small university, but it was, it was a small <laughs> auditorium. And one of the things that I did with one of my friends in university was uh, we would sit down and we would sort of go through problem solving of our homework together while projecting our laptops on the big screen. And we're in this auditorium. So like it, it was usually one or two of my friends, but we would kind of sit down and we would all sort of walk up to the the big projector and point at code and discuss the code back and forth when we would walk through the problem and uh, try to get to the solution uh, together. And it, it wasn't more of someone like telling you how to code. It was problem solving together. And that continued on in, in, in early um, after I graduated, even during university too, when I was interning at game studios, I was learning so much about shaders and, and graphics and animations. And there were concepts that I hadn't learned or, you know, when I had my first job at Canon, I was in this huge epic code base and mm -hmm. it was really nice early on in my career there that I would have sort of the veteran, the senior developers, they would come and sit down for you know hour or two hour and and we would problem solve together and to me that was really delightful and you're right like i can't really pair program with somebody i guess we have live share we can live share program code together and like you know hop on a discord call or something like that that's that's possible i guess yeah except in the indie world it becomes that awkward thing of well we're, we're not both being paid and working on the same team together. Like if you're on the same team and you're working on the same project, pair programming makes a lot of sense because it just makes things more efficient. You know, you have someone Googling <laughs> while you have someone typing and you swap roles and you're, you're double checking each other. That totally makes sense for me. It, it's really a question of finances, <laughs> whether the company can afford to have uh, people like that. And it's funny, all the different arguments back and forth. I, I never do the live thing. I, I think it's just because I don't feel like I, I want to take up someone else's time. I'm a little bit embarrassed like that. <laughs> well, I always thought pair programming, you're right. It's, it's one of those things that can go really right or go really wrong. And I say that because if you do pair program with somebody, there's this opportunity that may emerge because I've had this happen to me, especially when I was interning at the game studio 
where you may have a, a someone more senior, maybe not even more senior, maybe even at your level, but every personality is a little bit different. And I did work with uh, with an individual, and this was just uh, a thing with him, is that he often sort of, uh, when you were discussing a problem, would talk down to you. Um, mm. you know, mm. and, and, you know, that's not just one person. People have talked down to me and, and, you know, that's on several occasions, but on this occasion, it was, I was uh. so early in my career that it was, it was, it was very sort of detrimental, uh, to, to wanting to low learn and grow and work with that person where I've had other engagements, most of the time are very good. So there is that flip side that it, it could go wrong in a, in a, in a, in a, <laughs> that's in a weird like way. A- that's like the worst triggering environment for me <laughs> when mm-hmm. someone talks down to me. That's like, I'm just either going to shut my mouth and walk out of the room or we're going to get into a shouting match because it is just, it's my Marty McFly chicken thing. You know, I just can't handle it. It really annoys me. So I get you. <laughs> yeah. And that's one thing I've always enjoyed from you as my friend is that there are a lot of things that you know as an electrical engineer and a robot maker and IoT person and 262 podcasts I don't <laughs> really think that there's been a time that I ever felt like you talk down to me or you weren't by my side or you weren't with me on this like I never felt less than and that's something I really appreciated about you know, you as a, as a person and as you present and as you write blogs and as you, as you talk to people and present, I've always felt this genuine sort of goodness. And and that's sort of the person I would want to pair a program with. And the person that I want to be around the person that I want to record 262 podcasts, Frank, it's been five (laughs) years, five years of podcasts. Uh, I I was wondering if we were coming up on a five-year mark. Is there like, is there a calendar five-year anniversary that we missed or is coming? I guess. Okay. So if we were a summertime podcast. I think we have this discussion at the beginning of every summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, technically 260. So two podcasts ago would have been our official, you know, well, I don't know if that's our five year mark or not. The numbers are a little mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. The numbers are a lie. July 11th. Oh, oh my gosh. That's today. We're recording today on July 11th. It's been officially. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Happy five year, Frank. What? Happy five years, James. Oh what my a co- gosh. Co- what a coincidence. It's a good thing we looked. Good wow. thing you were thinking about it. Wow. What? Uh, okay, so in five years, we have covered a lot of topics, and thank you for the kind words. Now I need to say something kind to you because it's our anniversary. No, no. Uh, let's just get no, to the no. topic, Frank. Let's get into it. <laughs> I am at copilot.github.com. That's right. That's right. That's right. I want to talk about Copilot, James. That was a very long intro for uh, what is going to become an AI pair programmer. I, I guess that's that's our tie-in. That's our segue. Yeah, that's what it and, says. Yeah. Oh, is that like the byline? I didn't even yeah, know it's, it's It literally says, it, it's the H1, Frank. It says... What? Yeah, <laughs> it's the H1 tag. Because what it says, wow. is it has the logo on the top left, GitHub Copilot. Then it says technical preview. And then it says H1, your AI pair programmer. And then the subtext, the the it's not even H2, it's just P, t- P text. With GitHub Copilot, get suggestions for whole lines or entire functions right inside your editor, powered by OpenAI. OpenAI. So open. It's so open that you have to join a beta and I'm sign signing up. up. <laughs> signing up right now. Joining the waitlist. 
I'm in. Okay, so uh, this thing was released this week-ish, and it, it's, it got a few rounds on Twitter, a little bit of backlash and things like that. But I wanted to talk about it because I think it is the most promising new technology I've seen for code editors since basically IntelliSense. I think mm-hmm. it's that big of a leap. Um, Ooh, that's bold. Yeah, I, I'm going there and I'm starting there. Like even this released beta version, I'm going to say right now is almost better than IntelliSense because I get a little annoyed when the IntelliSense window comes up and not the code pilot thing. But maybe we should rewind. I just want to I just want to put my stake in the ground here. I think this thing is amazing and everyone should sign up. So really what this is, it's sort of like IntelliSense, but not in a way. So it truly is a way to start writing a comment or a function. Uh, maybe you, you know, for example, write a comment. The, the example here is it says, the comment is determine whether the sentiment of text is positive, use a web service. And then they write async function, this is some JavaScript, is positive, passes some text, and it returns a promise of a Boolean. Copilot comes up and it recommends that you simply, obviously, with about 10 <laughs> lines of code, call a API that does a post with the text that's passed in. The content type is uh, form URL encoded. It returns JSON and it parses it out if it's positive. And it writes those 10 lines of code for you automatically based off the beginning of um of just the function. Now, th- this is there's two things. We have three things in the world today. We have IntelliSense, IntelliCode, and now Copilot. All right. Mm-hmm. So IntelliSense is the thing that gives you recommendations in a list of stuff that you can do. So if you say this dot, or you say you have a string and you do a dot on it, it comes up with a list of stuff, and that's IntelliSense. It gives you recommendations based on the context of the object that you're performing it in. Is that is that a correct statement I, of IntelliSense? I, I would be a little more specific and say it's like a big API index where mm. it knows all the type information and can look things up. I don't like using the word recommend because it doesn't really recommend anything. It's just listing out the API to ah, you. Yes. And it's up to you to get what you want out of the API. Now the next one, <laughs> IntelliCode, that's the one that's actually doing a recommendation. So it's looking at the API and looking at a bit of your context and being like, look, it's a string and you did string dot. Most likely you want the length. Everyone just wants the length of the string. (laughs) So, you know, it'll figure that out. So from the API, it'll figure out a recommendation for you. Got it. So IntelliCode will give you recommended options. It will also um, recommend code cleanups. Like if you're, if you're, doing a string replace on one thing and it detects it in a bunch of other areas of your code, it'll recommend different fixes and optimizations throughout your code. And, and it does that throughout not only your, your, your code, but also your UI definitions if you're using XAML. So it's, it's smart enough. So a good example is you, you put down a button and then you do space and it will come up with a list of IntelliSense, but at the top will recommend text. And then when you go to the next one, it will recommend command or click to, you know, have a list of top recommended things because it, the, the team there has, has, um, for all intents and purposes, done a bunch of machine learning on a bunch of open source projects and, and, and look to see what the most common things are, or 
you can run IntelliCode on your code base and then you can have recommendations on how you code. So how is Copilot different than these two things, Frank? Copilot doesn't even really think about the API or what Mm. libraries you have. It just kind of looks at the code and tries to figure out what is the most likely thing that you're going to want to put next. So it is, in some ways, a general purpose uh, text completer. And you brought up the initial example, and this is an example they keep using everywhere, and I don't really like it. I don't Mm. think it's the right use of Copilot, but it is... um, uh, add a comment, give a semi-descriptive function name, and then begin the function, and then go see what the crazy things Copilot thinks <laughs> you could possibly want to do with that function. But you see how that's not browsing the API. That's not even recommending something from the API. And it's not even changing your code. It's purely here are uh, some different things that could come next as in implementations for this function. Mm. That is the common example, and it's super cool. Okay, I want to talk about why that's not the right way to use this thing, but let me first start with, it's super cool. (laughs) I, I, I give it like the weirdest function names. My favorite example that I've been using is ray, sphere, intersection. And then I pass it a ray, and I pass it a sphere. And I'm like, what are you gonna generate next? <laughs> uh, so let me take a little rewind. Um, Continuous does this. Um, we did a whole episode on it some ways back in our five years of podcasting, where I did a big machine learning pass over a bunch of code, and I learned um, how to predict what symbol would come next. <clears throat> and I don't even mean... Uh, By symbol, I just mean like keyword mostly or bracket or curly brace or something like that. That's very different from what Copilot's doing because it's generating the variable names and the text and the everything. And it's just kind of miraculous because it's integrating with your code base and also contributing to your code base because it can give you these intelligent implementations of something like, you know, I don't really remember how RaceSphere intersection works. So it's kind of fun to see what Copilot says. Yeah, no, they, they have a lot of great examples on the Copilot website too. For example, you know, there's this JavaScript file that's importing D3, which I'm assuming is a... a a drawing API. So they just write draw scatter plot and it just generates the code <laughs> and passes in data, height and width and it knows how to do that. My other one that's actually really fun though, I think is this one example that is more of an autocomplete and and I'm, and and that sort of may reminisce with the, the Intel code, but what it does is it says, "Hey, let's say we're creating an array of comment markers. So for example, in JavaScript, you may start with slash slash and Python, a pound sign and CSS forward slash star. So they start writing JavaScript and then they do start end and then Python start end. And then Copilot comes in and says, hey, I can fill in a bunch more. So it does CSS, HTML, Bash, PostScript, COBOL, ASM, Haskell. And it just fills in all of the, the extra for you automatically. And that to me is a really cool example of, of like, oh, like, yeah, it knows some stuff. But I think the even more realistic example that you probably will write all the time is something like, you know, uh, convert Fahrenheit to Celsius or (laughs) average runtime in seconds is is something that it, it figures out and it takes in a structure or, you know, simple conversions or converting 
a, a JSON array to something else, you know, some, some of these simple things of, of repetitious code that you're, you're writing over and over and over again. So those are, those are a bunch of different examples of things that I can do just according to the website. Okay. So that's a good lead into how I want to say how I find it most useful um, that I've been using it. The best way is as a line completer. So mm. you are writing the function. You're not letting it write the whole function. That, that's a little too mysterious, you know, unless it's a very trivial function, a very boilerplate one. It's actually really great at generating boilerplate. But if it's at all an interesting function, I think you should be typing this function. But what it excels at is completing the line. And you get into this very fun mode of like, uh, you, you hit the first letter and it has a completion and you hit tab and then enter. And then like, oh, yeah, that was what I want to do. And then you hit tab again, and then you hit enter. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that is kind of what I want. Tab, enter. And so it's like it's like filling in the method body, but at any point you can intercept and change what it's going to do. That said, also when it's executing uh, and it generates that recommendation, it actually generates 10 recommendations. And you can scroll through them with little keyboard commands and things like that. But it's funny, I don't even bother with that. Like... It's usually right, and if it's wrong, it's just one line of code that I have to type in, and then when I go to the next line, it's usually right by that next line of code. That's what's so impressive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, which is, yeah, how I use IntelliCode is more of that too, which is often I call it continuous tabbing because you can just kind of just yeah. <laughs> dot, tab, dot, you know, just go and go, go, and it'll it'll be really, really smart. But you're saying, okay, it, it's actually predicting the full line of code, not just the next... Uh, function or the next input, word. for example, <laughs> the next word. Token, yeah, and it'll do strings and things like that. Let me tell you about the creepiest moment I had with it. Um, I was just writing some code and it's doing everything as we're describing. And I just, uh, I wanted to time something. So I wanted to get the time at the beginning, do some work, get the time, and then display how long that took. Mm. I, I was being a little bit silly and I wrote like var start time equals, I, I don't remember if I use stopwatch or date time now, what, whatever, it doesn't matter. I did, let's say daytime.now, did some processing, and then I wrote var, and it already had the thing to calculate the time difference, as in call daytime.now and subtract the two things. So I'm like, oh gosh, it knows what I want. So I hit tab, enter, and then the very next line, console, right line, processing time equals something seconds. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like... It is the pair programmer, but even better, it's just, it's, it's a robot that knows what you want next. <laughs> yeah, they, they say it's supposed to provide editor context, provide suggestions and improve suggestions overall. So it's this co-pilot service that's there. So the things that it's doing today, it seems as though maybe other systems could even integrate into it in the future necessarily what it seems like yeah and it's funny they've done a little bit more than just code we also did an episode when i was working with gpt and i was talking about how i was having fun generating code using gpt and uh this thing is work works for like your project files it'll recommend packages to install you know mm. things like that so uh there's I don't remember what the full spectrum of uh, languages or context it supports, but it's pretty impressive for a first beta. I will say they have F-sharp support. It's not as good as the C-sharp support. One downside is they're very clear about um, 
the more code they have to learn from, the better the completer is. Mm. And there's just, because F-sharp is such a more powerful language, there's just less code of it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit of a tough conundrum for them. But I'm, it's just a matter of time, you know, to strengthen these things and support more languages and contexts. For example, XAML, like all this stuff should be working wonderfully for user interfaces. It'll be great for that. Oh, that'd be really cool too. Yeah, it says right now, like the technical preview, it doesn't even say optimized. It, says, it just does especially well for Python, JavaScript, TypeScript, Ruby, and Go. And I'm assuming because there's just more of that code out there but i'm yeah the same with c sharp and others that are, that are out there too so it's cool to see that it just works with i, I guess i just ran it ran they, well i ran they ran this thing this is what it is it's like a codec thing or something like that what is this is yeah open ai codec model and they just ran a bunch of code on it here's they haven't released technical details but my best guess and let's say i'm probably 90 percent right here is that this is just a custom trained version of gpt3 um, Codex is just going to be the name of it. They mm. might have changed the parameter size. They might have changed a little bit how it tokenizes things. Um, but yeah, so Codex is just the name of the trained neural network that's actually providing this code completion service. GitHub Copilot is more of a front end to the Codex network that is being hosted by OpenAI. And in fact, OpenAI has announced that within, what they say, end of summer, within a few months, something like that, that they would be uh, selling access to Codex itself without going through Copilot. Hmm. So Copilot's like uh, a text editor integration, whereas Codex is like a service that you can pay for. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> so ex I got so excited from it that I was like, you know, because um, I, I have something like this in continuous, but again, just doing it at the token level and it's not trying to generate variable names or anything like that. Mm. And I just got so excited by this. I'm like, I need to have one of these in my IDE also. So it just inspired me to like sit down and start training a network to try to be much bigger and much more powerful than the one that I already have in continuous. It's one of those things where like once someone proves that it's possible, you're just like, oh, you know, I should have tried. I just never had confidence that I could train a network well enough. And in fairness, I probably can't. <laughs> GPT-3 is gigantic. It is 175 billion parameters, which um, multiply that by four, and that's how much space on a hard drive it takes up. Mm. And I can't really ship that with an app, James. And <laughs> I, I, but I still want to have like some kind of service. So I'm going to aim for something more around like 100 million parameters and see if I can get anywhere close uh, to Copilot and Codex. But it's just really inspiring to see these uh, powerful networks being used for something. Just, it, it, it's such a relief to use. I hope everyone is signing up. I'm ending every one of my statements with everyone, please sign up for this thing and get it. There are downsides though, and we, we can get to those, but um, it, it, it's, it's a new advancement and it's yeah. really great. Yeah, I think any of these code recommenders or you see things like Dependabot or other things that are like, you know, trying to help you be more effective as a developer and more proficient and, and write code faster. As you know, I remember 
um, what was that? I was, well, I was reading this on Facebook article on how they sort of have a, their own code rec- bug bug recommender fixer like at the company <laughs> or something like that. You know, yeah. I've read a bunch of things where everyone's trying to develop different things. This is cool that's just available to anyone. So so let's get into into this because to me, I think that this is awesome and I can't wait to try. And it's cool to see that it runs on just any sort of different code base that's out there. But at the same time, I guess the question will be you know, how good does it have to be to be useful? So they, they say here in the, in the, um, the FAQ, right. That, that they were using Python functions that have really good test coverage in the open source. They asked copilot to, they blanked out the function. They asked copilot to fill it in. The model got it right. 43% of the time on the first try Mm -hmm. and 57% of the time when allowed 10 attempts, and it seems to be getting you know more intelligent. I assume as there's more code generated, yeah. things like that. Let me let me interrupt by being very blunt. It's a co-pilot, not a pilot. Ah, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what they did there. That's very clever. Yes, that is not your pilot. It's just, and then they do say, "Don't fly alone," right? So you're you're there with them. That's that's clever. That is clever. Yeah, that's why I keep trying to make this argument of it's a line completer. It's not a function completer. They keep trying to give that function demo because it really is impressive. And it's fun to look through their function completions. It really is, especially if you're brainstorming. Mm. But the utility, the the funness, the thing that sparks joy is the line completer. That's all yeah. it really needs to do. And this says, you know, when you're working hard, they're working hard to make Copilot even better. Code suggested by Copilot should be carefully tested, reviewed, and vetted like any other yeah. code. Just like the code that you copy and paste off Stack Overflow. That's not what they say, but that's you know, in general. <laughs> uh, I do like this. Though. It says, as a developer, you are always in charge. I think that's a good way of doing it. I've heard, I've heard Copilot incorrectly be described by news, media, podcasts, probably 50% of the time. Many people are, are, are pitching it as uh, turning written words into code. Right. And no, it's not, or at least that's not its most useful feature. It is actually capable of that. Mm-hmm. And that comes out of the fact that it was trained like GPT on the internet texts. It understands written language. It understands natural language, mm-hmm. English primarily in this case. Um, it's it's just more of a fallout of how the network works. <laughs> you know, it was trained on that much data, so it's capable of doing that. And for sure in the future when we get those numbers more confident instead of being 50% correct and if we get that number to like 90% correct or 95% correct i can easily imagine a place where um english text is translated to code and that code is executed in a sandbox you know just to make sure it's super safe and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but that seems perfectly feasible. I mean, honestly, I think the network's good enough. I'd even try it today if I had a strong enough sandbox and could guarantee that, you know, none of the code could break anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just for generating SQL queries, it's great for that. Yeah, I, 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 oh, that's a good point too. Yeah, there's been so much SQL code written. There's been so much, you know, you know, I think one example they have on here is, it's like querying Twitter for an AP, you know, whatever for tweets or whatever. It's like, oh, that's a really good example of, oh, like they just know the API and they know these things, and ideally, it's it's correct and can help you get there. Uh, and to me, I think that's 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 really neat because I can't 
tell you how many times I've I've either copied and pasted code from the docs. I think that's one thing that's really fascinating is if they were just <laughs> to index like let's say they indexed all of the Twitter docs and they indexed all of the Stripe docs and they indexed all of the you know Xamarin docs, for example, like and, and .NET docs, like that would be pretty awesome because those are like source material um, that is neat um, on there. I guess one question I have for you is. Have you seen it generate code that is like modern? For example, you know, I don't know how much of the code on the internet is always built against like the latest and greatest versions of the the language, like C sharp nine, for sure. example. Like, how does that code appear? Like, what is the quality of the code to you as far as syntax goes and, and features? So for me, I'm perfectly happy with it. I'm curious how much stuff is done manually versus automagic but the great one in the c-sharp world is var versus type names mm. <laughs> that's i think that's the only one where you can start to argue with it a little bit if you have a preference one way or another but for the most part it'll look at the context of your file so right. if if i'm in the middle of a file it's going to look some 2000 words back or whatever their buffer is and notice that I'm using vars everywhere. So it's going to use vars everywhere. This isn't a lookup code, copy and paste it into the editor. It's smart. It's figuring things out. Uh, that said, the network is so big, it does memorize things. So it has gotten in trouble for um, posting GPL code, just because that GPL code shows up. Um, specifically, there's this funny... Um, what, inverse square root function from Quake or something, maybe even Doom. Mm. Uh, it, it knows that function verbatim because every code base in the world has copy and pasted that function. It must have run into that function a million times in its life, and it just memorized that function. There are potential problems with it there, but for the most part, it's this wonderful mix of a capacity to memorize, but also to customize itself to your scenario. So to finally answer your question i'm perfectly happy with the code it generates yeah no problems there and it seems like the oh sorry you, you were specifically asking about modern stuff so i did notice um it'll use like um uh, that string thing dollar sign hmm. double quote oh, it'll cool. use that yeah so that's nice i don't think it does much pattern matching just because I don't think there is much C-sharp code out there in the wild that has a lot of pattern matching. Mm. So I think you're definitely susceptible to it's only it's it's biased towards what's most popular as all neural networks are. So then what you could do is then you could open it with Visual Studio and then you can use like refactoring to then exactly. make it prettier code. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let this thing generate the high-level stuff and then use all your fancy refactoring tools to make it exactly how you want it. But I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to see how it adapts to your style. It's kind of funny. Has there been anything that you've um, run past it or seen it just been like, no, that's not, no, it was, that's not even close? Or has it been pretty much like in the ballpark? It's funny. It, it gives up sometimes. Like, so that uh, ray-sphere intersection what I want is the mathematics. So, you know, yeah. cal mm -hmm. calcu do these calculations. But sometimes if it's in a weird context, what it'll do instead is uh, either make up a library or maybe pull from a real library that I just don't know about. I think it's like Unity code even. Mm. It will um, like uh, create array intersect object and then farm out to that function. It'll delegate off, you know, <laughs> it'll abstract off. It'll 
create an object and make that object do it. So that's its kind of failure mode is mm. just kind of giving up, which honestly isn't the worst failure mode because if you're using the way I recommend uh, line by line, then you're the one writing the function anyway, and it's just giving you little bits and pieces, and that way it has a lot more context. I think it's just when you ask it for the world is when it's going to let you down. But if you just use it as an assistant, I think you're going to be pleased. Or if you use it as a (laughs) co-pilot. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) How clever. How clever. What a clever title, those GitHub marketers. (laughs) Uh, That's No, that's really good to hear. And... Um, yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me that, that the the code itself, especially in the mathematic realms, that's what I'm thinking about when I was talking about converting Fahrenheit to Celsius or these kilometers to miles, like that code exists, you know, the distance between two, uh, you know, positions on a map or, you know, whatever, blah, 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 like these things in which you can go and find all of these or figure it out yourself, but ideally you know, it's pretty standardized at this point. And I do think if there's a lot of unity and there's a lot of game code, a lot of game code is a lot of mathematics and, and, you know, figuring out this bullet mm-hmm. went this far and this speed, and there's <laughs> a lot of variables. I, I, I think the types of stuff that you make could really lend well, cause I bet you have just tons of math all over your application, uh, when it comes to 3d. So I believe that that would be super duper helpful in these cases, because there's so much similarity in some of that code that's out in the world. Yeah. And it's there's so much similarity that one of the f- funnier features, and they never demo this, is uh, you start typing the function name, hit left parenthesis, and it tries to guess what parameters you're going to want, <laughs> mm. which sounds silly, but like it's surprisingly right a lot because it turns out we're all very predictable and at least <laughs> the interfaces we choose for things are very predictable. And so just, you know, just that tiny little feature there that like it, it usually guesses I'm right. And if not, you hit Alt-N or something a few times and it'll probably be in there. It's it's funny how much repetition is what I'm saying there is in code. <laughs> and you don't realize it until you see this neural network just trivially plopping it in front of you. Yeah. I'll be really uh, fascinated to see how it all works out when it, and you combine your IntelliSense with your IntelliCode, with your custom IntelliCode, with your co-pilot how they all co-mingle together or are they already yeah. co-mingling together no i you know no technical details have been released but from what i can tell no they are not uh i think they're doing some fancy tricks with the context so gpt running at full tilt can handle two thousand words of context and if i start a file and I'm on the first line of the file, there isn't 2,000 words of context to give it. Mm. So I wonder if the IDE is looking through other files in your project to give it some context. Mm. But that's 100% hypothetical. I don't know if they're doing that or not. All I can say is it's it's creepily right sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> how did you know that? How, what, what are you looking at? But you're right. The, uh, what will happen is these networks will have to be big enough to have... 200 kilobytes of context and then you can put your entire api into that context Mm. and now it has um the full richness of what you could ever possibly want it's a 100 of your context is captured in that yeah we're not there yet and there might even be arguments that you don't even need that because again code is repetitious (laughs) uh so yeah yeah that's it they can get bigger but i'm so happy with it right now 
That's really cool. I can't wait to get my hands on it and uh, actually give it a spin and just in some of my code. Did, does it work on XAML today or no? Do you know? I'm so sorry. I didn't even test XAML. Oh, like I, I keep talking about XAML because I want it to, and I know it can handle some of the XML languages. Mm. I'll, I'll be curious to see if it can handle, uh, you know, Windows XAML versus mobile XAML. That'll be a little bit funny. But, you know, it probably can just from the namespaces that you import at the top. That should be enough context for it to know which API set to use in that XAML. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, and it does make sense that there is some context provided by the source code. And when you look at the, the there's a, a tiny architecture diagram, and not really, it's a marketing architecture diagram on the Copilot <laughs> website, and it talks about like there is some chatter back and forth. So that would be really cool because at the same time, I know that the IntelliCode system and the refactoring system, they know it's not that hard. You just look at the namespaces, and you're like, okay, then then go down this route or go down this route, or like here's this recommendation or not. And I hear Frank typing some XAML in his. Uh, I don't think it's working, James, or it's just not working for me at the moment. Darn it. But yeah, this will be great when we have XAML going for us. Yeah, and we'll get the thing that you talked about, which was, you know, create a login page. And then it's like, here you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I really want it. Well, and I was making the other argument. I don't always want purely generative. You brought up that um, IntelliCode can also do refactorings, Mm -hmm. um, editing. Editing is not generative. You know, there are two different things. And we are waiting for a neural network that can do editing, as in um, add a button to this form. You know, don't just generate the form. Just do these mutations to the form. So I think that that's a next uh, big logical step for these. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Well, I'm excited to to give it a go. Anything else you want to talk about Copilot? Uh, I do want to bring up the one or two downsides to it. I I brought up the GPL thing, which I think will just get fixed by. They'll just probably Mm -hmm. stop including it. I think that that's an easy fix. Uh, And then there's another one that I've heard brought up from people I've asked if they've tried using this. And their companies are very strong on they don't want to be sending code up to someone else's service. And I think that that's a little bit unfortunate and a little bit short-sighted. I know I'm talking from a little bit place of privilege and all that, but I don't know. That seems like worrying too much. I don't know. What, am I not worrying enough? Like, I don't care that Microsoft can see my source code. I just don't think that there's value in that. But I could guess I could see if I was a proper super secret firm. But what does that even mean? How, no one's code is that secure. Everyone just use this thing. All my code is on GitHub anyway, so they already have it. I know. I think, well, they said they only trained on the public code. They didn't train on any private stuff because even in the public code, uh, people are finding keys throughout mm-hmm. Copilot. Yeah. That's the problem with a big network. It learns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet there's some. Yeah, that's, uh, oops. I, well, you know, yeah, and oops. GitHub, has a, has, <laughs> GitHub, I think, has a whole service that will search for keys and send you emails and all this stuff. I think all of them do. I, some of the other ones do. I remember getting an email from someone that's like, hey, just to let you know that this key is in this thing. <laughs> or oops, a poopsie. It was like a key. It was a weather API key that I was on a free yeah. tier that I didn't use anymore. But still, those keys are out there. That's a very good point. Uh, and and yeah, I think that it makes a lot of sense if if you already have your code in GitHub or you had some like enterprise tier of stuff or, you know, I think the other part will be like, well, what if your code's not on GitHub, right? Like, do you have, like, it is called GitHub Copilot. So like, does it have to be there? Like, how does that work? You know, I'm assuming it doesn't because you should be able to go file new and, and go from there. So it's a service from GitHub. It's, 
it's a it's interesting yeah. um addition into the github universe which we're, we're really github is a lot of a lot of things not just a code repository anymore you know yeah exactly <laughs> um okay just one more thing i okay. want to say about it. <laughs> last i'm sorry the closing statement <laughs> i think that this uh is huge for the teaching learning student education world because you can learn a language so much better with this thing you just start tabbing and it starts generating code you get a little bit of a flavor for the language you start creating your own variables and start tabbing and it starts uh actually putting in functional correct code into your thing this i i could only dream of learning new languages or learning my very first language with such a powerful assistant so i think that this is going to change how we teach programming too i don't know how and maybe not for the better or for the worse we're going to have to play around and figure it out i'm sure a lot of teachers are going to ban copilot in the beginning mm. but eventually i think we're all going to have to understand that this is not just a good tool but a good learning tool yeah uh it's like if I wanted to write some Ruby code, I have to constantly Google because Ruby's syntax is just so slightly different than everyone else's that I constantly have to Google it. But not with Copilot. I just I'll just be typing away and it'll be generating correct code for me. That's so, a good so. point of of learning a new language and or getting you know sometimes for example you may get into a code base that's not the language that you're using like you're in Java or it's mm. a C plus and you just open it up and you say oh I need to add this thing like I can kind of get in there. A good example is. I was doing all of that C programming for the <laughs> um, the cadence sensor thing, right? Yeah. And man, it sure would be great to, you know, have something that, that talks about, I don't know, whatever my conversions were that I was doing, and then it could fill it in and give me a template so I could understand let the me, code a little bit Let me tell more. you exactly what it, it's used for. It's the semicolon at the end of a C++ <laughs> class, because go. that's the thing coming from C Sharp you always forget to do in C++ again, but Copilot will make sure it'll be like, you want a colon there. I promise you, you want a colon there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point too. I like that. That's cool. I wonder, I mean, in F Sharp, can it like recommend like do all the indentation and all the other stuff for you because mm -hmm. that'd be kind of oh that's cool yeah it has to because uh python and f sharp are both white space dependent languages so weird. and so <laughs> it's it's good i like it yeah. it gets a little bit confused with currying because f sharp is one of the languages where you don't uh necessarily need parentheses for your function invocation um swift also has that so i'm curious uh what their swift support is too but i'm sure it does a decent job yeah oh and the you know the, the crazy thing about Swift, too, is that it's changed so, so much. much. <laughs> right. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah. Because I, I, if you have older C-sharp code, it's not like the worst. But if you have an nah. older Swift code, it may not even compile anymore. I don't think. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's no guarantee that the code that it's inserting is going to compile either. It's just your co-pilot, not the pilot. It's cool. Yeah, you don't trust that you don't. Well, I mean, hopefully you trust your co-pilot enough. Well, that's fair. I'm sorry to all the co-pilots out there. We're being terrible. Yeah, rude. We understand you can pilot also. We're, we're just trying to... It's a metaphor. Okay. All right, Frank. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's Emerge Conflict. Frank, you are the ultimate co-pilot. I appreciate you being here with me for five straight years. Every single Monday, this podcast is released. It's, it's a miracle, and I appreciate you for you. And I appreciate you, James, especially because I think this is the longest held job I've ever had.
So doing great. <laughs> five years, five years. Oh my goodness. And yeah, I just celebrated my five years on Microsoft. Oh my goodness. That is crazy. We appreciate all of you, all of our listeners. Thank you for being with us. Even if this is your first podcast or your 262nd podcast, we appreciate it. Of course, you can check us out at mergeconflict.fm. You can subscribe. You can hit the Patreon button and you get secret super podcasts and all the podcasts earlier on our Patreon exclusive RSS feed for all of you. Um, we appreciate you. Even if you're not Patreon, we appreciate every single one of you. If you like this podcast, give it a review. Even after five years, it still helps the podcast or just tell a friend that even helps it even more. But that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.